Hey folks, Brian here. Before the show begins, we have a special interview right now with Joshua Williamson and Jason Fabach, and then we're getting into the show. So uh, enjoy. All right. So anyway, let's get right to this. Um, Jason, I want to start with you. You have had a, a pretty fast rise through the DC ranks, and you are handling the first big crossover of Rebirth. What for you is different about working on this book than, let's say, Dark Side War or when you started off on Detective a few years ago? Like, what's what has changed in your approach to doing a big book now that you've done a couple of them? Well, I think in some ways my confidence has has, uh, has grown a little bit. Uh, I'm still not 100% confident. Every time you come into a big project like this where you know there's going to be lots of eyes on you and you're trying to impress not only the fans, but you're trying to impress, you know, your boss, who is Jim Lee. You know, it's like, our, you know, it's there's a lot of kind of like extra little stresses that uh, that weigh on you. But uh, I think coming through on Dark Side War with Jeff Johns, you know, I really learned a lot about how to tackle a team book, how to draw big epic action sequences, where to cut corners, where to really put your time into. Uh, and, and Jeff was a great teacher. He's done so many of these, these uh, big events and these big series that, uh, you know, he taught me a lot on how to approach those books. And, uh, I, you know, while I was on Dark Side War, I, I also, you know, talked a lot with Jim Lee about different things and his approach to, uh, to how to draw these big uh, kind of books. And so, you know, going through that was, was I think, my baptism by fire uh, to figure out how to draw a big team book. Because like you mentioned before that, I was doing some Batman stuff, Detective, Batman Eternal, and those were much smaller, um, you know, single-character books. Um, but, you know, so coming into Justice League versus Suicide Squad, I uh, I wasn't too scared of what Josh was going to throw at me because I've had everything thrown at me uh, on Dark Side War. Um, the difference with this book was that I feel... Uh, um, tackling the book from the perspective of the Suicide Squad was 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 really cool. Um, the Justice League comes in there in the in, uh, towards the back half of the book, but uh, getting to draw some action with the Suicide Squad, different characters I've never drawn before: Harley Quinn, Killer Croc, uh, El Diablo, uh, Captain Boomerang, who's one of my favorites, and, and Deadshot. Um, you know, it just gives you a, something different to draw. Even though you feel it's still a big, epic, blockbuster-style book, you're getting to draw all these different characters and then also getting to draw some of the, to, some of the more quieter scenes, like the intro with our mysterious villain entering this base um, and freeing these other mysterious villains from the prison. Um, you know, that was a, a challenge for me to draw and... Uh, you know, but but it became one of my favorite scenes of the entire book, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, in the in the end, you you I, I just try to work and do my best at everything I do, whether it's a small scene, whether it's a big scene, whether it's a two page spread or cover, and, and uh, you know I just try to do my best. And Josh gave me a great script, and I was you know really happy with it and really inspired to, to tackle this book. One of the things I think is really interesting about Rebirth thus far is just how optimistic a lot of it feels. You know, we're certainly still dealing with some some harsh realities and some tough stories, but there appears to be this sort of undercurrent of hope that has been running through a lot of the books. So for both of you guys, how do you keep a book that's about ostensibly, you know, heroes uh, 
beating the crap out of each other. How do you imbue that with sort of the uh, the optimism and the hope that's been carrying along Rebirth thus far? Uh, this is Josh. I thought about that a lot with Max Lord, and I felt like Max Lord would also have those ideas of hope and inspiration that we've done in Rebirth. He just has a really messed up version of it, right? He has his <laughs> own twisted view of what he thinks is hope and inspiration. And so I was able to kind of keep that in the book with his perspective on it. But then as the series goes on, you're going to see there are definitely those elements of hope and inspiration throughout. And there will be uh, bits and pieces with uh, you know characters throughout the story coming to that same conclusion. Because not everybody's feeling that hope and inspiration yet. You know, we want to want to get there with some of them. And that's something we do throughout the series. Um, you know, we just focus on the characters and what they're going through. And some of the characters on the Suicide Squad have never really been around the Justice League. And it's like they're going to see, you know, what the DC superheroes do best. I think it's one of the best parts of DC Comics. Those characters are all about inspiring you to do better. And I think that is something that the Suicide Squad is going to witness in the Justice League while they go through this series together. How about you visually? How do you, uh, how do you balance this big fighting action with keeping their, that sense of hope and uh, inspiration, as Josh put it, in the book? Yeah, I don't really know if I have a good answer to that one. I just, I just draw what he tells me to draw. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, moment, and, uh, there's, a moment, there's a moment issue one. There's a moment issue one that you really hit where I, I remember when I got this page, the part where uh, you read issue one, right, Brian? I did, yes. Yeah, okay, so there's a part where Justice League is is hitting people, they're helping people, and the Suicide Squad witnesses that, and there's this, you know, this four panel, small beat of the Justice League helping people, and you know, one of them is Wonder Woman, like reuniting a mother and daughter, and it's like Jay, I think you just nailed it, right? Like you see those four panel, there's gonna be no dialogue in them, and you know exactly what's happening, and you know who the Justice League is. Right, you know what they're about. Originally, I had those like, I think at one point there was a draft and it just had like a bunch of dialogue in there. And then with the art there, it's like none of that's needed. Like the art completely sells this idea that this is what the Justice League does. This is what separates them. They are here to help. Yeah, and I think I think you know, me reading comics for all these years and really loving the Justice League, and uh, I'm just trying to channel, you know, I'm trying to channel the feelings that I had when I was a kid you know, watching Superman on, you know, the old Superman movies, you know, or, or reading classic, um, you know, DC comics, you know, I, I'm trying, I try to channel those things into these characters. So when, when you know, when you see Superman, you know, like, like Josh described in the script, like when Superman saves dead, dead shot, he describes, you know, you can hear the John Williams Superman theme playing. And like, those are the things I, I do think about that whenever Superman makes a big appearance and I'm roughing out the layout even while I'm drawing the page, I can hear that song in my head, you know, or if Batman makes an appearance, I hear the old, uh, you know, the Tim Burton Batman theme music, because that was the theme music I grew up listening to. I hear those songs in my head while I'm drawing it, and, and I try to channel that, uh, that hope that, um, you know, the, 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 try to really show that these are heroes to aspire to, and, um, you know, and at the same time, you know, when you have your villains, you want them to appear dark and evil. You want you want the audience to immediately know who these characters are. Are they heroes? Are they villains? And you want them to get that right away. And so, 
um, I don't really, I, I don't really know if I think about those things too much while I'm drawing. I just kind of, I just go with my gut feeling. I go with what the script is telling me, and I try to get into the heads of these characters and, you know, act out how they would approach the situation, how they would look, how they would react, and try to put that the best I can, you know, on the page with my pencil. Now, uh, we get a whole group of villains introduced at the end of the issue that, you know, some of which we haven't seen in quite some time, like Emerald Empress or Johnny Sorrow. Uh, Josh, was there any villain that you were particularly happy to bring back into the fold? Um... It was exciting bringing all of them. It was really great that we got to do the original Lobo. I was really excited about writing uh, Johnny Sorrow and Emerald Empress. Uh, it was really good. You know, they're all big fans of Suicide Squad and the John Ostander stuff, so it was great being able to bring Rostam in. Uh, I've liked Stockton Polaris since he was a villain in the 90s Ray series. I think that was really my my big like memories of him come from that. Uh, and then there was Max Lord. You know, like I really... Uh, I mean, I, in a lot of books I do, I like writing characters that are kind of jerkish, and I like writing characters that are a little um, morally ambiguous, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Like, if you look at a lot of the books I do, I always have characters like that on some level. Uh, even when you look at the, you know, the first few issues of The Flash, like we had Godspeed in there, who's very much a character like that. And so with Max, getting the opportunity to write him and write a lot of his perspective on this current DCU is, is really, really great. Um I mean, man, it's been really fun just writing all of them. You know, I made sure we each one has kind of a little moment throughout the series and they're able to have some kind of cool story beats. And it was just really neat getting to kind of like, you know, bring in, like make it new and fresh, but then go back and bring in little clues and Easter eggs to things from their past. So it's been uh, been really great. Now, this question might be a little bit in the weeds, so I apologize uh, in advance. Do you Do we know if this version of Maxwell Lord is the, like, in this continuity, because, you know, there is still so much in the continuity that is unknown, did Wonder Woman snap his neck? Yes or no? You should just read the book. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. I appreciate that. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that alone. Um, let's talk a little bit about the scope here. You know, both of you guys have done, obviously, very, very big work before, but this is the book at DC right now. This is the biggest... Uh, project that's coming out of Rebirth thus far. It's launching a lot of books coming out of it. Uh, Josh, let's start with you. How does your um, how do you balance telling the best story that you can while also juggling all the pieces that both lead into and come out of this book? Thankfully, I'm not doing it alone. You know, like I have a support structure and a team of people that we work with. You know, we have our editors at DC, there's other writers. A lot of us writers talk to each other, you know. We talk about what's going to be coming up next. You know, we talk about their book. You know, I talk with Rob Williams about Suicide Squad um, and what he thinks about the characters. Uh, I talked to Steve Orlando extensively about what was going on in JLA and what he was planning. He was in the room with me while we were planning this book. So we were able to see, like, okay, well, how is this going to lead into JLA? Uh, get to talk to Jeff. Um, you know, we really – bunch of writers and artists and so to make sure we're all on the same page that made it a lot easier you know with uh you know tim seeley doing two of the crossover issues he's doing the justice league issues Tim and i know each other well and so we got to have dinner a few times and talk it out we got to you know get on skype and just sort of talk about this book i mean it, it definitely 
takes off some of that pressure because it really is a lot of moving pieces and a lot of things to consider. I mean, we really are doing a book. It's, it's kind of crazy. You know, we're doing a book that is a big part of the DC universe. You know, it's like something I want to do as a little kid, right? Like we really want to just have the ability to tell these big stories in the DC universe. And that's what this is. But it was really great that I got to sit and talk to Jeff about a lot of it. And we got to sit in a room and actually just write everything down and put on a board and not just think about, these six issues and the crossover issues, what happens next year, what was leading up to it. Um, I mean, that, that took a lot of the pressure off, I think, which is being able to have that communication with all those different different people, you know, mm-hmm. like everyone kind of was able to look at something. Um, you know, you get a little, uh, you get a little beautiful mind about it sometimes, right? Like I have, white, I have two <laughs> different whiteboards in my office and if somebody ever saw them, they would, they would legit be like, oh, you're a crazy person. You know, it's just like these huge, you know, math problems made from fiction. <laughs> it's like that's how it looks. And so I think, uh, but doing that, you know, it's a lot of movie pieces. Um, it's a lot of fun, but I'm glad I got to do it with a lot of great creators. Cool. And uh, Jason, I started with you. I'm going to end with you here. Uh, what was your favorite character to draw in the book? Uh, it could be a new character. It could be a character you've drawn before. Who's Who was your favorite one to uh, put on the paper? Well, uh, like I mentioned, I, I really enjoyed the opening sequence and, uh, you know, with Maxwell Lord and trying to keep him in the dark, in the shadows and use, you know, kind of uh, odd angles and, and keep him hidden uh, was a challenge. But I really enjoyed that, that sequence and I really enjoyed that character just because of his simplicity. Um, I, I really liked the big two-page spread at the end, which reveals all of these uh, these villains who are returning, like Lobo and uh, and uh, you know Emerald Empress and and Rustum and Johnny Sorrow. Like I, I really enjoyed the process of of you know kind of going through designs and redesigning some of the characters and updating them a little bit, and then you know being able to actually draw that 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 big two page spread was a lot of fun. And uh, you know the other character I really liked to draw was a uh, uh, Killer Frost. Um, Ivan Rice and I went through a kind of back and forth on some different design ideas, and then eventually we just kind of com- combined our ideas to create kind of the new look for the character. And, uh, you know, it's always fun to be the, you know, somebody who gets to kind of put that down on paper and, and see, you know, something that you planned out, you know, come to life uh, on the page and then going to be used in other issues and other books. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, you can't go wrong when you have Justice League and the Suicide Squad. Every every character you draw is, is a lot of fun. Um, it's you know, and it's just it more or less becomes a battle of how much time do you put into this panel because you have four other panels on this page with six characters <laughs> in them that you have to also draw. So there's always that kind of that that battle, and you know how how much to show who who to, using different camera angles to obscure other characters so you get that panel done quicker. Uh, but in the end, it was a blast. I really had a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I'm very thankful that you know DC asked me to draw the first issue.
Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach. We're riding a Rogue One high over here, but we're going to talk about DC Comics. As always, we are talking about spoilers. If you haven't read the comics that came out uh, last Wednesday, please, please turn away. We don't want to spoil anything for you. We have a lot to get to. The first thing we're going to get to is the 86-page DC Rebirth Holiday Special. The creators on this, boys, there's a lot of them. We'll get to them in a second. Um, overall, what did you guys think of the holiday special? Oh, I thought it was really good. Zach? I have a confession. <laughs> did you not read the holiday special? I pulled a hard Wilkerson on this one. Oh, no. It's so good. It was the be- it was the best thing of the week. Well, that's really – I'm sad about that, but do you know what happened? <laughs> What happened? I opened it up and I saw Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, maybe later. And I never got back to it. All right. She, you know what? That's fair. Yeah, that's totally a fair uh, argument. But she, uh, she kind of just acts as like the framing device for the mm-hmm. whole thing. So, I mean, there's such good stuff in here. Yeah. And you know All what? Right, well, I'll let you guys sell me on it. <laughs> Tell me why I should go back and read it. Okay. First of all, she works really well in that capacity. Yes, like, she does. Like that's how she should be used. You know, I don't. I can only read like three issues of her book before I get sick of it. But you know, I could read her like introducing these little specials. Um, and she's written by Paul Dini throughout, which and, makes it better. Yes, and drawn by uh, Elsa Charretier, uh, or I, I don't know how you pronounce that, but. Um, she has a very Bruce Tim style, so it feels like reading the animated series Harley, really. And uh, and and yeah, like that, like those through lines are really funny. But then you've got a Tim Seeley story. All right, Tim- can I, can I give Zach the hard sell here? Yeah. Okay. All right, I have like four different things I'm going to say to you, Zach. Okay. And if if no, if these four things don't get through to you, then I don't know you as well as I thought I did. You ready? Batman and Detective Chimp story. <laughs> all right. That's number one. Number one. Number two. You ever seen the movie Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger? You know I have. Uh, imagine that with Superman as Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> okay, two for two. Okay. Um, <laughs> we get uh, Steve Orlando and Vita Ayala writing a Simon Baz Jessica Cruz story. Okay. And James Tynan writing a Flash story. Two of those are must sells for must have for me. The first two, the uh-huh. second two, are promising and make me want to check it out. So t- together that adds up to a three out of four, which is enough to make me want to go back and reread it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Vince, was my uh, Jingle All the Way comparison apt? Uh, yeah, you did it. Although um, I, I kind of miss the uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger on Conan O'Brien saying "Jingle All the Day." <laughs> yes, Jingle All the Way. <laughs> But yes, okay. yes, that's well, well done. Thank you. Um, but l- let's just rattle off some of the names for the listeners and for Zach. Uh, Tim Seeley, Ian Churchill, Eric Esquivel, uh, Jan Durgens on layouts for one of the issues. <laughs> um, the team behind that really fun Bizarro miniseries, they did the Batman Detective Chimp uh, story. Oh, that's that's. Wonderful. Uh, Mariko Tamaki writing a Wonder Woman Constantine story. 
Uh, Robbie Rodriguez draws the James Tynan Flash story. Um, there's a really cute Batgirl and Nightwing story. It's like two pages, but really cute. There's a there's a Titan story, not written by Dan Abnett and not illustrated by uh, uh, Brett Booth. Oh, is it is it good? It's all right. All right. Uh, James Asmus writes it, and Riley Brown draws it. I like both those guys. Okay, yeah. Asmus is interesting. He's kind of – he's been hit or miss for me, but mostly I feel like it's his Marvel work. He gets put on really strange projects. Yeah. Um, and and much to uh, Vince's uh, pleasure, there is a new Superman story as well in it. Yes. I, I, was, I was wondering if you were going to mention that. I thought it was good. It was good. That's a good book. I, I'm coming around on that opinion, by the way. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, oh, I forgot to mention maybe the best part, Zach. There's a crypto story called For the Dog Who Has Everything. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Vince, tell me, am I wrong here? Or did this feel like just a classic Christmas DC thing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is I we we we've, we've been like a broken record, but like this is something you never would have seen in the new 52, I think. Yeah. Because they wouldn't have taken the time to like these are all exceedingly cute stories, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just not not what they were going for before. And now I think they realize that fans want a dash of this. You know, yeah, I wouldn't want the whole line to be like this, you know. No, but, not necessarily. But I'm also I'm a huge sucker for Christmas media. I love Christmas music, Christmas movies, that sort of thing. And so this week, this time of year, this was the perfect book. It's a delight. Yeah. And and oh, and just almost every one of these stories hits. Yeah. It's it's, it's ridiculous. Did, was, you have a, did you have a particular favorite? I mean, I love Detective Chimp. Yeah. So that was pretty great. But that first, that Tim Seeley, Jingle All the Way story. That was my favorite. Yeah. He fought the Penny Plunderer. <laughs> he did. Well, I, I'm really glad to hear that this was good because I feel like in the past we've kind of been let down by these sort of things. Um, Maybe I'm just, you know, I have like the new talent showcase thing fresh in my mind and... I'm sure there have been some other kind of like anthology type things that we've had in recent years that just like weren't up to snuff. So I'm glad to hear that this was good. Yeah, this is this is so the opposite of the new talent showcase because everything is super contained. Okay. You know, and they just man, everything works. You know, I I was a little bit not I think the Titan story is a bit on the nose. I think the Batwoman story gets a little bit lost in the middle, whereas I think the beginning and the end were really fun, and the middle bogs it down a little bit. And then the Green Lantern story is is good, but it's probably the weirdest of the bunch. And not that it's bad, it just doesn't necessarily fit in as well. Same with actually the Wonder Woman and Constantine story, I guess, right? 
Brian, is that because it's not a Christmas story? No, no. I just feel like, <laughs> first of all, it's an epiphany story, which is the last day of the Christmas season, Vince. So well, it's, it's Three Kings which is day. Which is epiphany, which is epiphany. I yep. know. Is it Christmas, though, Brian? That's not what. I, that's not why I didn't like it. I know. I'm just, I'm yeah. just yanking your chain. And By I did like way, it. It uh, was just mul- unusual. <laughs> Multiversity alumnus uh, Matt Malikoff says Rogue One rules. Force Awakens drools. Suck it, nerds. Baba booey, baba booey. <laughs> I was supposed to say that on air. So. Oh, were you really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I I think that, I actually think that the the, the couple of stories that didn't fit in as well sort of make it. Just give it that nice sampler feeling. You know, there really is a lot of different stuff going on here. I mean, it's it's eighty six pages long. That's huge for a uh, a book like this. Do we do we happen to know offhand what the cover price for it was? Um, no, I don't, because mine's coming from DCBS. So let's see, it was. Nine ninety nine. All right, see that that's a strike against it. I mean, that's like a that's well, an image trade, which are usually about four to five issues long. Yeah, so I guess it's about the same. I just feel like for something like this, mm-hmm. it would take a lot to convince uh, convince somebody to buy. I think it's it's just a hard sell for ten bucks. Yeah. If it was half the price, I think it'd be a different story. I I will say though, if I'm being honest, I do think this is worth it. Oh, I agree. I think like it's great. You, yeah, like if you ask me if the talent thing was worth seven ninety nine, I don't think so. Oh, but I know this, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> but this is so good across the board that that you really are getting what you would expect to get for about ten dollars. I think that's I think that's fine. I, I will say that, like, if it, if this, like, you know, is as high quality as it is and the page count is there, I'm totally for um, this format of books. Like, I, you know, I, I just initially, like, my reaction to something like this that's, like, non-continuity, not, like, a, you know, quote-unquote not important is to kind of, like, snuff at it a little bit. But... If it's good, it's good. And I, I have talked, you know, before how much I kind of enjoy, like, oversized format things. Like, when, like, Marvel and DC do OGNs that matter or, you know. So I I kind of like the idea of this, of something like this. I, I would like to see DC maybe do more things like this. Like, what if rather, you know, what if instead of getting six issues of, Justice League versus Suicide Squad. What if we got one or two of these like oversized things? Yeah, yeah, I like that idea. I think they could even do. You know how Vertigo did those uh, quarterlies? Yeah, uh, yeah, based yeah. On sound effects or colors, you know. Uh, I really think that they could do something like that quarterly with you know. It could be a seasonal thing. It could be a holiday thing. It could be whatever they want it to be. I don't think it's – I mean, I think it's kind of a win-win because even if it doesn't sell all that well, I mean, it's a thing that doesn't put too much of a burden on the creative teams either, you know? I think it's a great opportunity to try out new talent. I wonder yeah, if... yeah. 
I, I, I noticed that uh, Mariko Tamaki got her uh, first DC work here in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's going to be doing that Supergirl thing, uh, that, like, miniseries yeah. later. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I wonder if this, like, with as big as it is, I wonder if this is, like, a prestige format. I believe it does have a spine. spine. I believe it, it does a have a spine. spine, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Again, I, I, I love when comics have spines. Yeah, I, I feel bad that we are, we're talking about this with so little information, but, you know, uh, DC provided us with a digital copy of this for review, yeah. so we can't talk about things like a spine or a cover price. We don't have that information necessarily handy, so sorry, listeners. But it is, I would say this is well worth your money. This made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. I really enjoyed it. Oh, it 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 perhaps made your heart grow several sizes. It it I, I would say that yes. <laughs> um. So Zach, read it. Okay, this is. Are you traveling for Christmas? Yeah, I am. I would say wherever you get, you know, Christmas Eve before you go to bed, pull this out. You won't. You won't be sad. All right, I'll pull that out alongside my Green Lantern holiday special and. What other Christmas books do I have? <laughs> Batman Noel, because everybody wants to read that. <laughs> um, do you guys remember that Green Lantern Christmas special? I from do. A few years ago, I do. It has, it has no. the has Larfleas Lantern and... sugar cookies in it. Yeah, has Larfleas as Santa Claus. Uh huh. Yeah, that was fun. I made those cookies one year. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why can't you live closer to me? That'd be so much fun. <laughs> it was fun. See. I was peeping houses in your neighborhood the other night, Brian. Were you really? <laughs> yeah. House next door to me just sold. Ooh. Um. Yeah. Um. We ready to get into the rest of the stuff here? Let's do it. Let's do it. First up, we have Action Comics. Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> written by Dan Jurgens, artist uh, Patrick Zercher. And um, you guys, I, as like a therapeutic thing, I wrote this like <clears throat> page long screed about why Action Comics is a bad comic. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I've decided I'm not going to read it because it's probably more bitter than I'd like to be. But um, I just think like, like Jurgens is writing in action comics he's writing a 1990s comic book complete with like making his artist draw draw this like guy with huge flowing hair and big bulking like hulking muscles and no personality and uh and like we we've seen a lot of 90s revival like a lot of the writers that are coming up right now um whether it's at image or whether it's what they're doing at the big two they're really being um, informed by their love of 90s comics because that's kind of where they were coming from. And, except that they, like, understand what the weaknesses in 90s comics are and they kind of either subvert those or maneuver past them, you know? I'm thinking about things like Prof, you know, like the, the Liefeld revival. And, uh-huh. and there, there's a lot of books that are taking characters and teams that were popular in the 90s and, and sort of re, rebranding them or reinventing them. Jurgens is just still writing the same comics he was writing in the '90s, and they're not any better. They're they're worse now because a lot of this stuff has been done to death. Um, 
And aside from that, he's like Jurgens in this very issue is using using ideas that not only have we seen in comic books recently, uh, but we've seen you know this is this is like Minority Report all over again. This is Civil War Two. It's this idea that like if you could stop somebody from committing a crime or an atrocity that you see that they're going to commit in the future, is it m like morally okay to do that? But that this is such well-worn territory, isn't it? I mean, like, oh, like it definitely is. Yeah, oh, like absolutely. Civil War Two is dealing with exactly that, right? I think. I don't. Yeah, know. I mean, it's it seemed from what I understand, yes. From what James Johnston has told. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I haven't read a single panel of that book, but you know, Vince, I think we're like just dying for you to write a, a comics history piece on the <laughs> the. The Jurgens myth. Yeah, right, right. I think I will someday. That'll be a that'll be that's a future multiversity article. Um, but, but I and, and the thing is, is that every time Jurgens presents this idea, and he he does this at least four times in this very issue, he gives like Luthor a very dramatic statement about how like you can't punish a man for a crime he hasn't committed. And and when he writes it, I feel like he thinks he's writing something really smart and original. Like, oh, it's really smart for Luther to say this. He's saying it so with such conviction and so dramatically, but it's it's so worn out by now, you know? Like and and his Luthor, like when people write Luthor, they write him as like a very smart guy. But I think that Jurgen's Luthor is like what Jurgen's idea of a smart villain is. <laughs> And it's not like a brilliant man. It's just a guy who repeats himself a lot. <laughs> I don't and, think you heard me. I'm Lex Luthor. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the other thing that really bothers me since the start of the New 52, or since, I guess, since uh, Grant Morrison stopped writing action. I'm sorry. I know I'm, like, hijacking the podcast right now. but um, You're allowed. Like... Like since Morrison stopped writing action, had like has Luthor even been a villain? Has he done anything villainous really in the in the New Fifty Two or in Rebirth? But Superman like talks about him as if he's Hitler or something. I mean, to well, be fair, this is this is pre New Fifty Two Superman. That's what I was just gonna say. Yeah, but, but I feel like they've treated him like this before. You know what I mean? Like this has been a thing. Like everybody distrusts Luthor. But we, but he's not been a villain for like five years, and 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 it's a new continuity, or so we're to believe. So like, he hasn't done anything yet. Like he had Superman strapped to the front of a train or something in the, you know, first issue of of Morrison's action or whatever. And since then, he's basically been a hero, and everybody distrusts him, but they have no real reason to. Well, well, he's we been do a live dick. in a post-truth world, then. So, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I have nothing to add to your screed against this uh, book. It's garbage. It's a garbage comic. Yeah. I should make T-shirts to say that. Um, I, just, I can't uh, wait until Jurgens makes us the villains in the next. <laughs> yeah. next there is. There's going to be like, yeah, <laughs> just some three-headed uh, shit soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
it's gonna be some really on the nose like thing and then doomsday is gonna crush us into a fine powder yeah, yeah. uh it's me ryan vic and mac <laughs> <laughs> i hope that does happen oh i would love it i would love it i would make us get tattoos of our jurgens selves <laughs> i don't know if i'd do that uh you'd do it if i told you to do it <laughs> just kidding um all right garbage anyway, comics Let's move on. This is yeah. Um, I'm going to guess this next book was Wilkerson. Uh, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. Oh, it was. <laughs> I'm getting good at this. Getting good at this. Um, Although I did see that something happened in this one, and I meant to flip to the end to see it, but I forgot. Well, it happens, like, right off the bat, actually. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah they reveal the, the – you'll never guess – well, it, be, before before we get to that, can you just say who uh, who wrote and illustrated this book? Yeah, uh, uh, Julian Shauna Benson wrote it, and Rose Antonio uh, drew it. Um, Zach, you will never guess who the real Oracle is. Okay, well, I'm, I'm looking at the pages, and I still can't guess who it is because <laughs> it's no one no. we've ever met before. It's Gus Yale, <laughs> that, <laughs> that famous, the famous DC character we know and love, Man, Gus Yale. Uh, can we say one thing? Yeah. The shitty books of Rebirth have given us some great fake prank phone call names. <laughs> Gus Yale, Frank Leminski. I mean, these are just – these are gold. These are good, yeah. Can, can I tell you something, though? This Okay, this is not a good comic, all mm-hmm. right? But I, this is probably my favorite issue of it yet. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I will say because I chuckled at it a few times, and it's the same thing that we talked about last week uh, – Zach, you were off last week, right? You had a, you had an issue. I had so, issues. So, Brian, what book was that? Where it was Green Arrow. What they were doing was they had like uh, fans of Green Arrow or people who didn't like him, like members of the public, interviewed on TV, and they were making like metatextual jokes about Gr- Green Arrow and DC Rebirth, etc. You know. And I'm kind of a sucker for the meta stuff. And so, like, the idea that Gus Yale is a Batgirl fan who collects Batgirl stuff is not an original idea at all. Like, I'm pretty sure Nightwing had his own version of that back in before the New 52. But, but it still makes me laugh sometimes because, like, how can you not laugh at the fact that the guy has a Batgirl lunchbox? Um... I just I like when DC Comics treats the characters like icons in addition to like actually you know like in story they're treated as icons and I, I like that. I think that's that's something that you know for the most part sets them apart from Marvel cuz you don't have at Marvel I feel like the heroes are more or less among the people and they certainly have their fans, you know, whatever, but but I feel like in DC they're seen as myths or icons in a much greater fashion. Yeah, you know? pretty and much I, only I, Captain America elicits that sort of fanboy reaction, and that's yeah, because like a, he because he was frozen in the myth and all. You know, he was like he's a symbol of something. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, that's just my. It, this wasn't a great issue, but you know. It was making some meta jokes that I kind of liked. It did something. It did something. It was an issue of the book that did something. We haven't gotten that yet. Yeah. So it has that going for it. I have nothing else to add. I like Roger Antonio's art. Mm-hmm. Um, 
This is a fine book. Fine issue of a crap book. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, next up, Deathstroke number eight. Uh, you know, the, the conclusion of this first arc. And I hear someone breathing heavily. It's me. It was my passionate sigh. Go, go for it, buddy. Take it away. Man, this book. <laughs> is this the one good thing in 2016? <laughs> there have been some good things. But, like, the a lot of surprisingly terrible things have happened. Yes. That. Is this the first, like, surprisingly great thing that happened? Like, Possibly. There's a, there's a great Deathstroke book? Possibly. Like, still, maybe not quite half the time, a quarter of the time. I really don't know what's going on. But I still really like it. Yeah, that this is one that this is a book that that uh, invites multiple readings to kind of stitch all the pieces together, for sure. I'd say it actually requires multiple readings at times. Well, I don't know if you're a genius like uh, <laughs> Christopher Priest, maybe not, but. But, uh, but man, I mean, just, okay, so how killer has Superman been in these last couple issues? Um, so great. There's a, okay, okay. There's a complaint with Superman, a uh, really common one among people that aren't really fans of his, that, like, he's too hard to write for, it's too hard to make a complicated situation that he can't just solve, uh, you know, due to the fact that he's invulnerable and super strong etc you know he's not relatable he's not relatable that's right <laughs> well christopher priest knows exactly how to do morality with superman and if he's got one chance here which i hope this isn't his last chance like i want christopher priest to write a justice league book if he wants to yeah <laughs> just give him a damn justice league book give him whatever he wants forever yeah but if, he, if this is his one chance to write Superman, how great is this moral situation that he's been put in? You know, like, he's there to stop Deathstroke. Deathstroke is clearly the bad guy, but he's not lying when he talks about the sins of the United States, you know? Right. And it puts Superman in a position where, okay, Deathstroke is not a good guy, but he's right. And what... What do I do? Yes, he could do anything. Superman can do anything, basically. Uh, what does what does Superman do when it's Deathstroke versus corruption being committed by the U.S.? Like, how does Superman justify working for them uh, against Deathstroke when when they're committing great sins too? You know, and the way that they resolve that by having Superman kind of refuse to to uh, turn his man into the U.S., but still kind of finds a middle ground for it. Just just really, I mean, that's how you do it. That's how you make it compelling. That's And that's how you make Superman feel like he's got difficult decisions to make. Yeah. It, um, it, gave, it gave Superman some gray area, which almost never happens. And yet it was totally like, like, I mean, he uses one of the Superman words, justice. Like that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That wouldn't be justice. And yeah. That hits right at the heart of Superman. Yeah. But it would have been so easy to make Superman this this holy roller, this mightier than thou, holier than thou figure, 
and Priest denies that at all turns. Mm-hmm. So good. Masterfully done. Um, and the art has been consistently good. Yeah, it really has. Um, That's a handsome Superman. It is a handsome Superman. I, uh, <laughs> I really like uh, Paggy Lyon's work, and I think that ever since Larry Hama came on layouts, it's looked even better. Oh, my. <laughs> You're just saying that because he looks like uh, uh, George Takei. What does that mean? It means he looks like George Takei. So I'm I'm on all these bullshit email lists because I'm a comics professional in quotes, and uh, I got an email today that there's a new George Takei app out there. <laughs> Do you know what it's called? Is it called Oh My? You got the first two syllables right. <laughs> it's no. George Takei's Oh My OGs. It's a it's a <laughs> uh, emoji app. <laughs> Not joking, folks. Real thing. I got an email about today. I hope there's some dirty Howard Stern stuff in there. <laughs> uh, probably. Uh, Detective Comics, number 946. Written by James Tyne and illustrated by Eddie Barrows. Uh, this book is doing it for me, guys. This book is also good. Very good. Very good. It's, uh, man, I... Th- this arc has been really interesting because they're throwing a bunch of villains at the Bat team. And yet I feel like we're taking more time to sit down with the characters and have them bounce off of one another than we've been able to so far, you know? So like they've got this big threat that they should be handling and yet they're finding time to like show a little quiet moment from the past between Bruce and Tim, you know, mm-hmm. it's just Which going a at a really r- good moment to open the issue with. I felt oh, like, yeah. Oh, that was beautiful. Just like, like, you know, Bruce, I feel like Bruce was perfectly written, too, because um, uh, uh, James Tynion gets that, like, Bruce will never admit that he's wrong, and he'll be stern with Tim, but he, he will go so far as to admitting that he may have a blind spot that Tim could see, you know? Yeah. And just the way that the way that, that comes together... And, uh, and Eddie Barrows is particularly good at showing Batman grabbing his chin and thinking. So, like, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of that going on, and it was really – that was good to me. Is it just me, or did Eddie Barrows have, like, a uh, a secondary mutation once he started on March Manhunter last year? Yeah. I feel like he has never been better than he has been since that oh, book. Yeah, he hasn't. This is terrific. Like, I love the little um... – the kind of like painted segments i've been saying that since the book started but like that page where um steph is kind of monologuing mm-hmm. yeah and there's like that painted part of her on the left and then the regular style for the panels toward the right it just looks so good and man his clay face is clay face is maybe like my favorite character in this book yeah really good They've Which made is... a really good Clayface comic. How weird is that? <laughs> good Deathstroke comic, good Clayface comic. Oh, man. Yeah. This is really good. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm excited for the conclusion of this storyline. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what's next. I, I you know, I think uh, Tanyan has talked about how there's going to be some, a little bit of rotation in the team and or an expansion at least. And mm-hmm. um, you know, we've already seen a little bit of that with Batwing and potentially Harper Row, but uh, and Azrael popped up a little bit too. Yes. Oh yes. Good Azrael. That good Azrael. Good good as. <laughs> nice ass. <laughs> nice ass, yeah. Um, that brings us to the Flash number twelve. Yes, written by Joshua Williamson and art by David Gianfelice. This was a good comic. Man, <laughs> that ending. Yep. Oh well, yeah. Mo- oh baby. Multiple, multiple parts of the ending. There's one that I'm thinking of in particular, though. The lightning fist bump. No, not that one. That was pretty great. Barry and Iris going on a date. Not that one. What? The shade saying he knows he knows they're married. Yes, that one. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. The shade was so. That whole thing was really silver agey to me. Like, Hope and Iris like being corrupted. Yep. Uh huh. Silver agey, and then like, the solution being the being the shade essentially sacrificing himself, but not really just like in that world yeah. sacrificing himself and you just know like oh he's going to be whisked away to you know to the sidelines again to come back another day you know maybe a year or two from now or whenever they want to pull him out again but like it was very much like i will sacrifice myself this is my problem and see you later dudes <laughs> but the flash is all no way i'm a hero yeah. yep 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 yeah, and oh man, how great is the mentor-student stuff with, with yep. Barry and Young Wally? Like, just so so carefully written so that like neither of them are kind of falling falling into the stereotypes that they easily could in the whole mentor Padawan type thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, Wally even gets the upper hand with one or two things, one or two powers that. Barry doesn't have or you know hasn't honed in on and uh the stuff about just letting Wally be a kid you know yeah it's really really nice comic noticing a pattern here we're in a good streak (laughs) we're in a good streak now um is that all anyone wants to say about the flash I really love the art in this issue. Yeah. This arc overall has looked great. And um, that that Williamson guy, who listeners will have heard an interview with just before we started talking, uh, both he and Jason Fabach. You've already heard this, listeners. Why am I telling you this? Um, but yeah, that Williamson guy knows how to write comics. Yeah. Especially Flash comics. Uh, did anybody read Gotham Academy? Yes. I did not. Give us a uh, give us a little rundown. Zach, did you read it? Wilkerson. Oh, Wilkerson. No, this. I guess this is a different thing than being Wilkerson. Wilkerson yeah, is... has a has a bad connotation yeah. to it. This right. is so Brian this hadn't read a single for later. Yeah, this is this has a Brian didn't read a single comic before like four p.m. today, <laughs> and so had to plow through these. So Jesus, you, you oh man, you guys. I'm a busy man. I know. Um. 
Okay, so written by Brendan Fletcher, um, art by John Lamb, who I don't recall whether John Lamb has done any anything before. Uh, it's not John Ham, it's John Lamb. I was gonna say, is it John, John Ham's John Ham? Yeah. John Ham's John Ham. <laughs> John Ham's John Lamb? Remember, if it tastes like ham, don't wipe your ass with it. Yeah. Um <laughs> I'm sorry. For, um, uh, can anybody name the restaurant he opened in the sequel to that sketch? Oh, Ham and Bubbly. Yep, with Michael Bublé, correct. <laughs> uh, we are down a rabbit bro. hole. Uh, <laughs> God, <laughs> mess. Uh, DC3 is a mess. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, this was a nice little one-off issue, kind of. Um, it had to deal with, there was something called the Carnival Midnight that the characters went to. And, of course, there were uh, supernatural things that went on when they went to the carnival. No shit. Yeah, can you believe it? I can't. Um, and it was just a, a really sweet story um, that I, I think I won't spoil for you guys because you should go back and read it. But um, John Lamb, also on art, was really nice. A terrific fit. Very similar to what we've seen from Gotham Academy so far. Uh, in fact, I, you know, because this book only comes out once a month, if I were to just look at like a panel or two from this, I might not have even known because the characters all totally look like on model. It's just, it's very fitting, uh, really smooth transition. And, um, and yeah, just a sweet book, a lot of heart in it, you know, a lot of mystery and intrigue, but with that like youthful bend to it. So, um, nice. Keep, yeah, just people should keep reading this. It's 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 really good. Um, and that's all I have to say about it. Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, uh, issue ten, is next. Written by Robert Venditti, art by Ed Bennis, actually, which is interesting because wasn't he on Green Lanterns? He was, yeah. He was, yeah. But yeah. I will say his work here looks a lot better to me. It does. Uh, can we consensus say this is the best issue of the series so far? Yeah, I think that's fair. This yeah. actually, like, if this was how the book was all the time, I would really like this book. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is now. Maybe we're at that. Maybe he needed 10 issues to get to the point. Are you saying Hal Jordan's back and he's good again? I wrote in my notebook, <laughs> Hal, Hal's back, Kyle's back, baby. Green Lantern is good again. I wrote that. You're so on brand. I'm so, I am. I'm so glad you uh, you picked up on that. I didn't write the wolf howl. Though. Okay, I was, I was hoping you actually wrote out the wolf howl. Yeah. No, but I love I love what's going on in this book now. Like you got Brainiac, you got Brainiac you know, controlled by Larfleas. Yeah, yeah. Which is a it's it's a really good combination. Absolutely. <laughs> the only bad thing about this issue was Kyle on the cover. Did you? <laughs> Look at that cover. I want you to go and look at it. I'm right looking now. at it right now. Let's see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he looks ridiculous. The He's a tiny really head. Good, Who did that variant? Kevin Nolan. Yeah. But uh, but you know like I, I look at that I look at him on the cover and I think like he is an impossibly muscular dude. But I wouldn't trade my flabby body for that <laughs> body. <laughs> You don't want a tiny shrunken head on top of a bodybuilder's body. He looks like the guy really like short arms. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, really short arms, puffing his chest. Yeah, really weird. Um, that's the only bad thing about this issue. It was really good other than that. I mean, to be fair, Ethan Van Skyver did the cover, so no wonder why it's shit, but... Yeah. Yeah. But I really like what, uh, what, what Venditti is doing. Like, yes, it took him ten issues, but he reset the deck and basically defined... Like, he defined what Hal is gonna be. He defined what Kyle is. He defined what Jon Stewart and Guy are right now, you know? And he, he set the stage for the Blue Lanterns to matter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's oh, I'm really excited for that too. Like you know, Green Lanterns hasn't been that bad of late either. <laughs> you fucking bad. softy. You're it's coming around better. too too quickly. I'm saying that maybe the Green Lantern books are getting better. Maybe they're good again. The Phantom Lantern arc was way better than the Red Lantern arc. That that's true. It is. I'm you guys know I'm a Leminski head, though. So <laughs> you can't get enough of Leminski. I can't. can't get enough. This book is the. I will. I think I can firmly say this far in that this is the better book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if we were honest with ourselves from the start, we would have said that all the way through, at basically every point. It was the yeah. novelty of of a Jessica Simon book. Yeah. It that, was. And some, you know, there are certain points when this book is obviously worse than other times. Yeah. 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 Yep. But you're right. This is something new. This gives Hal a bit of a different mandate of sort of how he's supposed to be acting, what he's supposed to be doing. Um, I sort of loved the Emerald Space. Is that what it's called? The, uh, like, the heaven for, for Green Lanterns? Yeah, there feels there. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty great. Well, yeah, it was cool getting to see like a lot of those characters again. Tomar Ray, and uh, yeah, what's, that? what's the name of the guy with the trench coat? I always like him. Oh, I know who you mean. I can't think of it either, though. He died like right before Blackest Night. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know either. Yeah, I'm gonna Google that really quick. Trench coat, Green Lantern. <laughs> has to turn something up. Mister Biscuits. Jack T. Chance. Oh. <laughs> That's another great prank name. I yeah, I would have never remembered that in a million years. That's Chance the Rapper's real name. <laughs> yes, it is. Jack T. Chance, the rapper. <laughs> he, is, he is the. Jack the Chance. Jack yeah. the Chance. <laughs> the rapper. Chance the rapper. <laughs> oh, we're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> New Superman number six, Gene Yang, Victor Bogdanovic. Um, I, Vince, I was wrong about this book. Ooh, thank you very much. I I will say this. I think this is an example of a book that would have worked way better as an OGN up to this point. I feel like the structure of it for introducing these characters, if if I didn't have... To, if I could have read past Dickhead Keenan <laughs> quicker, I would have come around in the book faster. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I didn't like to have to wait five months to realize what not a dick he is. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. Um, Zach, did you Wilkerson this? Well, I'm at the point where I'm so hopelessly behind. I So, but... 
it sounds like what you're saying is that this is something that would have read well in trade. Yes. And so now that the first story arc is over and I can sit down and read it all in one run, I should maybe go back and give it another shot. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think so. Um, Some things do just resonate better with me in a non-serialized format. See, now I'm excited to see the next adventures of the team mm-hmm. and sort of the characters. I think everything tied together really nicely in the end. And I think, you know, again, not to spoil it for Zach here, but there is sort of a big character-defining moment that happens late in this issue. And while it was telegraphed from very early on, and while it's nowhere near surprising or original, it works. Like it's a, But it's a twist that I feel... Again, this all reads almost like the origin story of this character. And to read it in one chunk, I think, would have been helpful. But I, I was wrong. I was wrong to write this book off. I'm, I'm glad I stuck with it. Well, I'll, I will definitely go back through it. I'm, I'm flipping through it right now, and I have to say, like, at times I wasn't a big fan of Bogdanovich's art. But I really like this the way this looks yeah he he's come a long way i think um yeah i i don't know i don't know how to describe it other than to just say like it's capullo light again like i've said that before mm-hmm. but like i could see capullo in the faces and i just i dig that i don't know something about like the way <laughs> some something about the expressions on their face just like really sell the comedic moments or um and also, there's just so many different elements being brought together. Like, you know, if you're a fan of the the Great Ten stuff and August General and Iron and all that, they they get their spotlight moments here. And there's some really distinctly Chinese stuff that you only get by having Gene Yang writing it. You know? Yeah. Um, and I love the way that he folds that into the character. It's not like a major. Um, It's not stereotypical, you know, but there's little bits and pieces that that just enhance the character that that only a Chinese person could bring to the character, you know. Yeah, agreed. And uh, and and I love also how it, it taps into the Superman mythos, um, with a character that's almost completely disconnected from Superman, actually. Yeah. You know. Uh, so I have a weird question for you guys because. This is going to make me sound like a crazy person. What and, and this for Zach, this is going to sound totally out of left field. What happened in the last two issues of Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps? Um, they got trapped on the in like Brainiac's world, right? Yeah the the bird fish people. Yeah, because there's a part in the book, Zach, and this isn't spoiling anything, where they're on an airplane and everybody in the airplane gets um gets brainwashed temporarily and it, when the character wakes up he says i just had the weirdest dream about glowing green rings and there's an editor's note that says see how jordan the green lantern Corps eight through nine see what the passengers saw because of I, the starros yeah exactly so i is guess that it? i i say that is what it is yeah so i guess they're seeing i guess everyone with the star on their face sees the same thing yeah, because they're like a hive mind thing. Yeah, so like even the folks in the other book were seeing the same thing. 
Oh man, that's some cool continuity. I was gonna say that to me that was a really nice way to tie it into the uh, mm. to the main continuity without it seeming forced, but it's also very subtle and weird. I like that. Yeah, that was that was a really awesome moment. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Anywho. Well, there's two things tonight that I need to go back and check out. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Uh, Red Hood, number five, written by Scott Lobdell, art by Dexter Soy still. Um, This book is funny, you guys. Like, Artemis is an enjoyable character to read under Lobdell's pen, surprisingly. There was one really bad joke I have to find now. What was it? I bet I laughed at it. Well, I'll find it. You guys talk amongst yourselves about this book. Did you read it, Zach? Yeah, I did. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's still just like a, a, a like you know, a well above average Labdell bat book. Yeah. Bat related. They keep going back to the well of like. Uh... Uh, Jason's past, you know, and, and, and specifically yeah. his his relationship with Bruce. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is it's it's fine. I mean, it feels like a it feels like too much at this point, but it's fine. I still I really do like this team they've kind of set up. You know, I I wish it was more of just that. Yeah, they they're. They're pitched as a team, but they, as of it's, yet, they don't really feel like one. Yeah, yeah. They feel like three people doing completely separate things, happening to be in the same area as a consequence. And it'll be interesting to see how they get together. Yeah, this still feels like it could end up being like a mini series to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, where they don't even really make a team and, and it just ends. And yeah. I'll, I'll actually be disappointed if that happens because I'm, I'm, Slightly more invested in this book than I ever thought I would be. Oh, I, I'm incredibly more invested than I thought I would ever be. <laughs> I thought I would have Wilkerson this like halfway through the rebirth issue. Well, I'm only slightly invested, so. I mean, I, I, but I, even being slightly invested is more than I thought <laughs> I would ever be. So yeah, I, I found the joke by the way. Okay. Uh, Jason says to Artemis, "Man, you're like Fifty Shades of Grading." <laughs> yeah. That's a really bad joke. Uh. I just picture, like, the dads of the world chuckling in unison at that joke. Yeah. You're a dad. Yeah, I'm, I'm above them all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, this, this book is good. Dexter Soy is a really good artist. I really like his work a lot. Yeah. I think he elevates the book considerably. That first page of Bizarro, like, bursting forth is awesome. Yeah, very good. Anything else on this one? Nope, we gotta talk about Suicide Squad. Oh boy. Oh finally boy. finally a shit comic. We were on a good run. We were on a good run there, yeah. Um, did, You know, did you hear who the new artist on Suicide Squad's gonna be after this is all said and done? J.R.J.R. Yeah. No, it's not. Is yes, it? it is. Yeah, yep. it is. Burn. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, but is... Is Rob Williams still in the book? Because yes. I saw that Cy Spurrier is... He's co-writing the tie-in issues. Okay. But, but, um, but Will- it's going to be Williams and uh, and J.R.J.R. Yeah, I don't okay. understand. I mean... <laughs> that's a really expected follow-up to Jim Lee, is it not? 
They're not doing anything. They're just uh, burning through their early 90s Marvel artists. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Who's next, uh, Rob Liefeld? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) No, I think that bridge has been burned. Yeah, I think so. Um, Mark Silvestri, here we go. There you go, for an issue. Yeah. And a half. Um, I I will say the one thing that I wrote down here was uh, Killer Croc yells, Entrails Ramen at Rick Flag <laughs> several times. Several times. <laughs> Which I don't even think like like Killer Croc speaks intelligently pretty much, you know? So like him just yelling Entrails Ramen just seems like Incredibly know. stupid. Is that supposed to be funny? Is that <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I like how this book goes to great lengths to make Captain Boomerang say, I'm a general now. And then in the backup, which takes place after this, he's back to being captain. And he says, like, hey, call me captain. Yeah. (laughs) Boomerang's back. He's not not good yet. Entrails ramen. (laughs) Um... Yeah, same story with Suicide Squad. It's just not a very good book. We're all waiting for Rob Williams to write the next thing he's going to write because I'm sure it will be better than this. Um, anything else? No. Supergirl, issue four, from Steve Orlando and Brian Ching. Uh, I really like how on these monthly books they're tending to be um, – they're tending to, to have the same artist month after month. Yeah. It's been Brian Ching the whole time, I think. It has uh, been. Well, Manuel Lupacchino did the uh the rebirth issue. Oh, you're right. You're right. But yep. but since the series proper started, it's been Ching. Yeah. And this was uh this was you know, I've been like lukewarm on I mean, it's, this has been a good book, but uh I think this is my favorite issue yet because to me this is what Steve Orlando does best where like he takes the essence of the character, and they still kick ass, but they do it in a very uniquely unique way to the character that he's writing. And uh, and uh, you know, Kara here is—it's just so perfectly her character, the way that she handles the situation with um, her parents and and the quote-unquote new Krypton situation. Uh, just with tons of empathy, and and that ends up winning the day, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is a good book. I like this book. I like yeah, it a lot. I I liked this issue a lot. It was good. I think it's giving Kara her own her own corner of the super world. I think so many times the Supergirl book just feels like what's happening in the shadow of the Superman stories. And this is totally different. And part of that is incorporating things from the show, like Cat Grant and the, and the DEO into it, you know, but part of it is just Orlando is, is content to introduce some new characters and to give her something to do that is specific to her. Like her, with her father being the cyborg Superman, which is not necessarily a new thing. Uh, I think that happened in the new 52, didn't it? I don't recall. I'm almost positive yeah, it, did. it did. It definitely did, yeah. Um, 
But just just giving her a supervillain that can be totally hers, even if it's one that historically has not been, you know, um, I just think it's uh, it's very very wise and has been a lot of fun. Definitely, yeah. All right, that brings us to Superwoman number five, written and illustrated by Phil Jimenez. And this book is again awesome, guys. Man, <laughs> so good. Everything I, about this. I love the I love the scope of this book. It's just it covers so much in in a single issue, and it's feeling less and less wordy to me as well. Um, there was one point in this issue where. You know, the first few pages are, are very light in terms of text. Um, and then you get to, I guess, the fifth page, I think it is. And it's just words. Let's see, one, yeah. two, <laughs> three, four, five. I guess it's actually it's the sixth. Um, it's right after that two-page spread, and it's just, like, all words. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I generally agree. Yeah, it's less wordy. Um, but man, it's just so like the the plot is really complex. The characters are all really interesting, and such a quirky, like diverse cast too. Yeah, this and, is a Superman family book without Superman in it. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you guys a question? Maybe I'm just um dumb and i missed it but is this the first issue of this that had tracy 13 in it no she showed up at least the previous issue maybe even one before that i know oh. she was in the last issue but very briefly yeah, yeah yeah i i must have just like let it wash right over me you know um because that was a nice surprise to me um and i i almost feel like they threw that in there with no explanation, and that's a very like. Remember the Tracy Thirteen book at Flashpoint uh -huh. time? I do. Yeah. I don't. You don't? I actually think that might have been like my introduction to the character. What honestly. Oh, really? was it called? Tracy Thirteen. It was a uh, World of Flashpoint. Yeah. Featuring Tracy Thirteen. Oh yeah, know. yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I had forgotten about that. Well, there you go. Go back and read that. <laughs> Must I? No. Okay. No, but I love that they're, you know, I'm really I'm really interested in DC just throwing all this stuff from, from pre-Flashpoint at the wall and just saying, here it is again, you know. Don't over-explain it. Don't take an entire issue to explain what, you know, right. how they. Her powers got like a single text box. And it's like, of course she gets her powers from cities. Wait, what? Like, you know, just they just threw it out there, and it was, it's cool. Yeah, why the hell not? I no, agree. This, this issue was very, it almost felt kind of like Morrison's action comics a little bit. Yeah. She wasn't overrated. Hmm? I said, this issue wasn't overrated. Oh, come <laughs> on. I, I mean, just like in terms I'm of. Kidding how many like weird high concepts are crammed into a single issue and like not given really a lot of room to breathe but it's okay it's still just like fun that was my take on that series i i didn't i don't i don't feel like it was overrated i felt like a lot of people didn't like it very much yeah i'm just teasing i yeah it was okay 
I guess when I it's one of those situations where I heard Morrison talk about it before it happened, and I feel like the book we got was not the book he talked about. Maybe it's just maybe it's because there's just something about it that feels like almost a, a spiritual sequel in a way. I some can of see the, that. Some of the imagery, a lot of the imagery, and then I guess like the emphasis on steel and yeah. It almost feels like kind of an inverse of his opening arc to me. Yeah, that's that's a really great point. Yeah, I mean, I just think that <clears throat> when you're thinking about Rebirth and you're thinking about the successes and the failures, with the exception of action comics, pretty much everything with a super character in it has been very, very good. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. even Red Hood, you could ca- count in that with Bizarro. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the super books were in such a terrible place for most of the New Fifty Two, and they just fixed them all at once. <laughs> I don't know really. I don't really know how they did that, but good for them. Anything else to add? No, I just I still really like this book. I feel like there was a point in time where I I kind of liked it better than Superman. I think those days have passed, but it's only because Superman has gotten so good, and this book has kind of stayed at that same level of quality that it was at. But it's still one of my favorite Rebirth books. Have uh, Vince? Have you fully checked out the DC solicits yet? No, I don't really do that. I, I I am writing my column probably tomorrow about it. I know there's a big Superman crossover happening mm-hmm. in March. I don't know if this book is part of that. I was wondering if you had I read ahead. I don't think it is. I thought it was just action and Superman. Oh, okay. That, I, I really don't care one way or the other. I was just curious to see what the... Uh... Although, apparently, so the solicit text for the, that month's Superwoman... Um, looks like it will be impacted by the crossover it's not a part of it but it uh it says the events of superman reborn will greatly impact the future of metropolis's newest hero okay uh this is not a conversation for tonight because we're going to wrap up in a second with our last book but i feel like rebirth has been so rewarding for the three of us because we're reading everything i wonder how it's reading for folks who aren't reading everything yeah, I don't know. Mm-mm. I mean, I guess Zach is reading everything in quotes. Because... <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are thir- I, I would say that I'm reading everything that is important. Yeah, I don't think you're missing much from the books that you skip. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm the books I'm skipping are more on the periphery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, except all the Watchmen stuff is happening in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, <laughs> <laughs> and and Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, Harley just had sex with three Dr. Manhattans. So. <laughs> um. <laughs> that was a lot of fun, Dr. M. Y- yep. Man, what did you read it too, Brian? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, last book of the week, Wonder Woman, written by Greg Rucka, illustrated by Nicola Scott. Boy, was it. 
is very art. good. Oh. This is very good. Her art made up for the fact that the lettering was bizarre. What? The lettering was bizarre? Everything in this issue was lettered like somebody was screaming it. Oh, I didn't notice. It's all, oh. like, ev- Everything just seemed to be, like, bolded. Oh. Uh, and and it just it was a little bit distracting. But mm-hmm. Scott has been so good on this. I think I'm bold. I'm I'm uh, comic book bold blind. Okay. Because I don't really notice that ever. It is an interesting font, but I like it. Have yeah. you? I, is that like a? I, that's one thing I've noticed is I feel like the the lettering within Rebirth has been a lot more diverse. Yes. I don't feel like it's always been that way. The Superwoman lettering was really interesting this week, actually. Um, I thought the Supergirl lettering was very interesting. Yeah, look at this. Look at us with lettering chat here. Um, I thought the Supergirl lettering was like very scratchy and kind of almost like what you would see like scrawled in a notebook. It didn't have borders in parts, which reminded me of Saga. You know, that, mm. that type of uh, style of lettering. Yep. But... But back to Wonder Woman. Yeah, boy, Nicholas Scott, like, oh, man, I love... She's really knocking this out of the park, and I, I'm I'm sure... I mean, first of all, she's just a great artist, but, like, I feel like this being Wonder Woman year one is, like, an excuse for everyone to up their game as much as possible. Yeah. And you just look at her faces and the detail that she gives, like, the eyelashes, you know? Everyone's everyone's got, like, individual eyelashes drawn. And just the look that, like, Etta Candy gives uh, uh, Barbara Ann Minerva at that one, in that one, like, mm-hmm. yeah. part where they're talking about, uh, the po- you know, Sappho's poetry. Yep. And, um... Just and then the the scene of like Wonder Woman lifting the tank and blocking bullets and Steve Trevor's timing her and she's like flipping around and don't, it's, it's gorgeous. Don't forget is very sugar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At first I thought that was like I read it in a Borat voice. I <laughs> of course he did. I, it's because I'm stupid, so. <laughs> It's not a knock on this book for me to say that I read it as, it's very sugar. (laughs) (laughs) My soda. (laughs) My soda, Bob. Soda cola. (laughs) Oh, God. We're a stupid podcast. Yeah, and that's like a 10-year-old movie that we're referencing. Stay tuned for our Christmas vacation hot takes. Shitter was full. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Now, this was really good. I was actually thinking about the year one implications earlier today. I feel like, like I know almost nothing of what happened in Green Arrow in year one. I, I, I That was during one of my sabbaticals from reading comics. But whenever you walk into any bookstore and you go to the graphic novel section, the only collection of Green Arrow always is year one. Uh-huh. 
I feel like just putting that branding on something is essentially saying like we are making this for the bookstore market. This is going to matter for a long time. This is the new origin. This is you know it's just it's I I think for non monthly comic readers it's a really desirable subtitle for a series yeah. or title for a collection. So I think it's it's a very high honor for both Rucka and and Scott to be on this um on this particular story. And I think that they're doing that title justice. You know, year one means something in the DC universe. Yeah. Yes it does. Yeah, and, and I mean I still just like love the the way that you know, this new origin is feeding into the current storyline. Like, there, you know, we're, we're getting two parts of the story concurrently, and it's like her her origin is being written at the same time that her present is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a really cool. interesting way to, like, consume a story. Yeah. This is a pretty good week, guys. It was, was a good week, yeah. Just a, just a couple. I do, I do feel like, yeah, we've kind of talked about how like, there's like the on week and the off week, and as long as like these books stay like on this schedule, this is definitely the on week. Which is interesting because we love Superman. We do, yeah, that's true. But there, there's just some. We love Aquaman. Uh, what else comes out the next week that would be uh I guess if you traded Superman for action comics and Aquaman for uh what's something bad? Suicide Squad. And Suicide Squad, there we go. I'm trying to think of another double shipper. Is Suicide Squad a double shipper? It is, yeah. No, it is. It sure it feels is? like okay. it. It just started late, that's what it was. Yeah. But that, yeah. I, I fully support that trade. Um. Anyway, thanks yep. for thanks for listening, folks. Um, are we doing an episode next week? Um, I guess so. Yeah, we should. It's a big week. Yeah, we can. This yeah, it's a big week. Yeah, I mean, I'm around. I'm not traveling, so I'm good to record. So yeah, so I was gonna say this is our last show of the year, but it's not. I'll be, yeah, I'll be back. Uh, next week's show will be the last show of the year. So um, we'll maybe we'll do like a little little look see back or something too, uh, in addition to our usual blatherings. Um, but yep. But uh, until next time, you can find all three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at SirFox89. And uh, tweet us with some Rogue One talk. Oh, please do. We'd love to have you. And um, for those who celebrate either of these, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you later.